Well, if you brought your Bibles with you this morning, go ahead and take them, open up to the book of Genesis. Big surprise, we'd be in Genesis this morning, right? That's where we've been for six months, walking through this life uh, of Abraham. And, you know, it's been 25 sermons, believe it or not. Uh, of course, not 25 sermons from me. One of the, the beauties of the team teaching model is you've heard from numerous voices. You've heard from Lloyd, you've heard from Michael, heard from Bill, Eric Hoffman as well, taught a, a message or two in the last 25 and six months. We strategically decided as a church, Fellowship Bible, both at Brentwood and Franklin, to take a long time through this series because we thought this life of Abraham deserved it. Uh, what you'll find when you've walked through this series is it's not really about Abraham, is it? It's about God. And so we titled this series, Abraham. You know, it's not really about him. He's not the star of the show. But I love the tagline that we've been talking about all throughout this series, trusting God makes sense even when it doesn't. And that's been on the screens every week. In fact, that, that tagline is the title of this morning's summary message, the recap message, because we really wanted you to feel that tension, to engage in that idea, and you might have been puzzled by that a little bit. What, what do you mean? How does it ever not make sense to trust God? Or what, what, what is that? Don't you really mean, you know, trusting God makes sense even when it seems like it doesn't make sense, etc.? We want you to puzzle through that a little bit, and this morning we actually want you to engage in this idea personally as you think through the last six months, and some of you have been to a number of these messages, maybe others of you are joining us just recently, but all of you in the room, whether you've been here or whether even this morning is your first morning, you have an opportunity to think about the life of this man of faith, what God was doing in him, what God was birthing in him, and what it means for us. In other words, what it looks like this morning for our stories to intersect Abraham's story. And so that, that's what we're going to ask you to do. So how this will work is I'm going to recap. I'm going to summarize for probably 20, 25 minutes or so, kind of walk back through the story of Abraham's life. And I'm going to do that using the visuals and symbols that we've used throughout this series. We'll get to that. And then once we're through that, we're going to put a couple of questions on the screen behind me. And the questions are designed for you to reflect on and interact with. And you can use the space on the back of your program just to write down your thoughts if you choose to do that. And you don't have to share the answers to those questions with anybody. But we do want to give you an opportunity for some of you, if you feel like God would ask you to or you feel like you would want to share what you wrote with some of the body, we're going to give you a chance for that too. So we've allotted some time near the end of the service for four or five or six of you, however much we have time for to share. And, and you don't have to. There's no pressure whatsoever. But, but I know that God has some beautiful and wonderful things to teach us as a body through some of you this morning. And I'm looking forward to that as kind of what our service will build to. Well, we want to start back in our summary here in Genesis chapter 12 because this is where the story of Abram as he was called before God changed his name to Abraham. This is where Abram's story intersected with God's at the beginning. Genesis chapter 12. Now, this particular passage is one of the most important in Scripture. And the whole Bible, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, kind of marks the direction of the rest of the Scripture. Now, why is it such a significant part? Well, let me take you back to what we talked about in week one of the series. For those of you that were here, you'll remember this. For those of you that weren't, you'll hear this for the first time. God's plan throughout the whole Bible can be summarized in a pretty simple way. God is all about choosing a people of God to live in the place of God with access to the presence of God. 
That's what the whole Bible is all about, is God developing those themes. People of God, place of God, presence of God. And he sort of begins that direction with Abram. Now, it's significant to know that as far as we can tell from the Bible, there was nothing particularly special or, or really good about Abram before God appeared to him and spoke to him. In other words, God didn't look all around the earth and pick the one man that was the most righteous or the most devout or the most holy in some way. As far as we can tell, Abram was a normal guy. In fact, he was worshiping other gods, the gods of his father and forefathers. He was worshiping those gods before the true God, Yahweh, appeared to him. And I think the most you could say about Abram when God appeared to him was God looked around the earth and he saw a man, God did, that he knew would believe him. That simple. And so he goes to that man and he makes some promises to that man. And let's read about the promises in Genesis 12, beginning in verse 1. Now, the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and so shall you be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Isn't that magnificent in scope? I mean, all the families of the earth. Now, what's happening here? Let's think about the people of God, place of God, presence of God. Start with the people. God is essentially saying, I am choosing one man, and from that one man, his offspring, his family, and then as the scripture develops, we'll find out later, spiritual children of Abraham, which we are in this room even, I'm going to pick from this one man a people of God. I'm going to draw people to myself through what I'm ha- what's going to happen through Abraham and his descendants and this nation of Israel that I'm choosing. Well, what about the place of God? God says there is a place. Go to the land, he says. It's a specific, actual, physical piece of real estate. The land will I will show you. And that becomes the place of God, this land. And, and Abram has to go blindly. Right? God doesn't tell him it's going to be Canaan. We find that out later. Abram just follows God into this land that he will show him. And then what about the presence of God? What God is doing in this language of I will bless those who bless you, I will curse those who curse you, etc. He's essentially saying, I'm going to have a special personal relationship with you. You will be my, or I will be your God and you will be my man. You will be, and your family will be my people. You see, the presence of God is entering in a very particular way into Abram's Life. So, people of God, place of God, presence of God, that's where we started. Now, one of the early symbols we use, one of the key visuals that we wanted to draw your attention to is these two letters that we have right up here on this old table. The P stands for the promises of God in Abraham's life. That's everything that we just read. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, and God will reiterate those promises several times. But the R stands for the reality that Abraham, or Abram at first, entered into. And honestly, the reality was a lot different than the promise for Abraham most of his life. So in other words, what God was asking him to do, if I could just pick these up, is God was asking Abram, Abraham to hold these two things in tension with each other. They're both true. So God was essentially asking him, and we, we kind of did this, you know, Lloyd and myself, the other teaching pastors, at various times we took the P, we took the R, we said, you need to learn to hold these two things in tension. So what did that look like to Abraham. Well, it looks something like this. God, you promised me 
that you would give me this good land, why is there a famine as soon as I obeyed you and entered into it? That's the first thing that happened was there was a famine in the land as soon as he got there. What's up with that? God, you promised. The reality is the famine. Or how about this one? God, you promised to make me a great nation with many descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. But my wife can't even have one. Right? She's infertile. And she's past the age of childbearing. How do these two things go together? God, how about this one? God, you promised that I would possess all the land that I could see. The reality is there are other people already in this land and I haven't owned any of it ever. Right? You see the promise and the reality kind of coming into the contact with each other. We, we, we talked all throughout the series about holding these two things in tension, promise and reality. And this was the life of faith that Abraham lived. It was not this cakewalk. It wasn't peaches and cream. It was kind of walking between these. So we strategically placed a giant P, a giant R in, in the, the vestibule when you came in, forcing you to walk between the two, right? to, to live in the tension. That's where we live for now. Right? That's where Abraham lived all of his life. That's where we live, to a certain extent, all of our lives. So to put it another way, and I'm going to paraphrase another phrase, Abraham's life was not your best life now. Was it? It was your best life then, in the future, and what you have right now are glimpses of the promise, pieces of the promise, but you're going to hold that intention, Abraham, with the realities and the harshness and the struggles and the suffering that I am leading you into, God says. But trust me, trust me even when it doesn't make sense. This tension between that promise and reality is an important part, important theme in the story of Abraham. Another important theme in the story of Abraham is how there's sort of the story on the surface and there's the story deep down underneath. What I mean by that is we, as we follow Abraham, we start realizing Abraham keeps pointing to someone greater than himself. And there were multiple times throughout this story that we realized the way this story is going, it's actually, you know, Abraham, it's not about Abraham. It's about God, and even more specifically, it's about the, the future Abraham, if you will, or the future one who will follow God perfectly, the future one who will sacrifice everything, the future one that will live in this promise perfectly for you and I. Of course, I'm referring to Jesus Christ. So multiple times throughout this story, we've pointed out to you how in the story of Abraham, you see glimpses of Messiah to come. Let me review a few of those with you. You remember at one point in the story, Abraham had just rescued his nephew Lot from this invading army that had captured Lot and his family. And Abraham very bravely gathers his men and goes and defeats that enemy army, rescues Lot and his family, and he's making his way back down. And he encounters this very mysterious figure, character, called Melchizedek. Melchizedek appears out of nowhere, and we know a couple things about him. We know he was a king, his name means king of righteousness. And we know he was from Salem, which means peace, which was the, the future spot where Jerusalem would be. So you have this king of righteousness from the city of peace that greets Abraham and re-speaks the blessings of God on Abraham. And not only that, he offers Abraham something. He gives him wine and bread. 
Now, isn't that interesting? Right? The king of righteousness from the city of peace, acting as an intermediary between Abraham and his God, blessing him and refreshing him with wine and bread. Right? That points us to our sacrificial lamb who gave up his blood, his body on our behalf. And we had a morning here as we walked through the story where we took communion together when we got to this part in the story because we're recognizing there is something here about Abraham's need, as great of man of faith as he was, he needed an intermediary. He needed a go-between. This priest king, Melchizedek, we need a go-between too. We need an intermediary as well. And our intermediary is Jesus Christ who gave his blood and his body for us. There was another profound moment in the story that pointed us to Jesus Christ. In fact, it was right after the Melchizedek incident. God told Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to give you descendants as numerous as the stars. I'm going to give you this land. You know, he's reiterating the promise. And Abraham says, how will I know that this will come true? And so God does a symbolic ceremony to formalize the covenant or the, or the promise to Abraham. And in this symbolic covenant, God asked Abraham to do something rather strange. He asked him to get a ram as well as a calf, a goat, a pigeon, and a dove, five animals. And God said, I want you to cut these animals in half. And I want you to take the pieces of the animals, one on one side, one on the other, and I want you to make a path. And see, Abraham knew exactly what was going on because in the ancient Near Eastern culture, this is how you formalized a covenant. You took animals, you split them in half, you laid them along the path, one half of the animal on the left, one half of the animal on the right, and then the two parties of the covenant would walk through those crushed, broken animals to symbolize, if I ever break my promise to you, may what happened to these animals happen to me. It's a serious, solemn covenant. What happens when it was time for Abraham to walk through the path with God? And God puts him in a deep sleep. Abraham never has to walk through. God walks through alone to demonstrate to Abraham that this covenant I've made with you, you're not on the hook for it. It has nothing to do with you. You can't lift a finger to make this come true. I will not fail you no matter what you do, Abraham. It's all about me, God says. And of course, that is foreshadowing, prefiguring the broken body of Jesus Christ who would be crushed so that God would keep a promise to make a nation for Abraham, which we're a part of, you see. One other symbol I want to talk about, and and, and I'll get there by telling you another story. Not too long after that formal covenant was made with the broken, split-in-half animals, Abraham still didn't have any children. And Sarah was well past her years where she was able to conceive, and so she said to Abraham, I think we need to have a plan B here, buddy. So she said, why don't you marry my maidservant, take her as a second wife, and then maybe you'll have a child, a son, through Hagar, my maidservant. And so Abraham agreed to this, and he married Hagar as a second wife, and Hagar didn't have any choice in the matter, did she? And she conceived, she bore a son, Ishmael, but that caused a lot of problems. See, it wasn't God's plan. God's plan all along was for Sarah to conceive. Didn't matter how old she was. 
God was going to do it, right? And yet Abraham and Sarah said, I don't think God's going to come through. We've waited long enough. We're going to take matters into our own hands. And they made a mess of things, right? That reminded me when we were doing that sermon, that thought, man, that sounds like me. <laughs> There's certain things in my life that I know I need or I, I believe I deserve. And I'll just grab onto them so tightly or I'll manipulate or I'll, I'll, I'll do little things to make sure that I have those things. And more often than not, when I do this instead of this, I make a mess of things. Well, the story continues and God works redemption even in that brokenness, even in that family mess. And before too long, when Ishmael is a teenager, Sarah indeed conceives miraculously. Isaac is born. Laughter. Isaac means laughter. Is now a part of the family. And Abraham throws this huge feast. Can you imagine? He's over, he's a hundred years old when Isaac's born. This is a man at this point in time of many servants. He's got a lot of people. He's still living in a tent, but he's quite wealthy now. Can you imagine the feast that Abraham through in celebration of the birth of this long-awaited son that God had promised and this miracle from God. And, and, and we had our own little party that week here when, when, when we talked about this. And some of you are thinking, what does a beach ball have to do with anything? We brought out the beach balls and we tossed them around the room and we had a banjo up here. And we played bluegrass music and we had like streamers and confetti. And the, the, the whole idea was not to make a show. The whole idea was to say, look, sometimes in your life, God gives you little glimpses of the promise. And when you see a glimpse of the promise, he wants you to celebrate it. He wants you to enjoy it. He wants you to taste and see that he is good. Right? Now, what we remember, though, is it's just glimpses. Because immediately after the promise, there was more trauma and drama in the family. I mean, it was like whiplash for Abraham. It was like celebration. And then he's got to cast off Hagar and Ishmael in the very next chapter. Right? But listen, don't underestimate the power and importance of celebrating well. This is why God commanded the Hebrew people to feast, to eat, to drink. Right? That's how they worshipped. One of the ways that they worshipped, right? was partying. They partied as a way to worship God. What does that look like? It's to say, God, everything good in my life that you've given to me, even though it's not everything I'd want, but everything good is from you. And I'm going to give you credit for it, and I'm going to worship you through this celebration. Now, this beach ball is very um, relevant to me right now because we're just coming off a vacation at the beach. Right? We were down there at the Emerald Coast with about half of Williamson County this past week. And, and we were down there, and, and we enjoyed it. And honestly, this was a vacation that we've been looking forward to for months. And there was this moment where we were sitting under the tent. The weather was beautiful and the water was clear. And my little girls were splashing in the surf. And I thought, this is the life. This is my beach ball, right? This is my celebration. This is my... And then I started, I don't want this to end. And everything was perfect right up until the point that the girls started bickering. <laughs> right up in the point that our middle girl got like snapped at by this crab and you would have thought that her whole foot came off. I mean, <laughs> right up to the point that, that, 
You know, the wind started blowing and started knocking down our tent right up to the point that we all got hungry and realized, oh, this isn't fun anymore. Right up to the point, right up to the point. You see, the best things in our lives are only glimpses, right? They're, they're, they're fleeting. Enjoy them. Celebrate. But don't think that your life is found here, right? This is what we do. We tend to squeeze. Some of you are getting really nervous right now that this beach ball is going to pop, right? This is what we do with the best things in our lives. Our children, our relationships, our homes, our stuff, our entertainment, our hobbies. God, life is found here. Don't take it from me. Abraham, or sorry, God loved Abraham enough to say, Abraham, I will not allow you to try to find life from the laughter that I've given you. Yes, enjoy the laughter, but I'm going to ask you to have open hands with it, Abraham. I'm going to ask you to take laughter, Isaac, and lay him down. I'm going to ask you to build an altar and sacrifice your son on that altar. And will you trust me enough, even when it doesn't make sense, And at this point in his life, Abraham, well over 100 years old, has finally learned that he can trust God even when it doesn't make sense. Because I'll be honest with you, there is nothing in me to think about killing my own child that makes any kind of sense at all. And, and you and I tend to gloss over that and say, well, but God wasn't actually going to have him do it. And, 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 and God spared Isaac. And that was God's plan all along to spare Isaac. But Abraham didn't know that, you see. In fact, later on, Hebrews would tell us that Abraham figured that God would raise Isaac from the dead. He trusted God, even when it didn't make sense. And so when we got to this point in the story, Lloyd was teaching and if you remember what he asked us to do, everybody got one of these little pieces of wood. And if you were here this Sunday, you, you remember this. Lloyd invited us to write down on this piece of wood what one thing in your life do, do you tend to be grasping onto so hard thinking it will give you life. And God is just asking you to release your grip and let him have it. And so we all wrote something on this shem, this little piece of wood, and we brought it back the next week, and there was a big fire pit out there, an altar, our altar, right? Fellowship Bible Church, our altar. And we laid these pieces of wood down on that altar, and they burned up. And I want you to know when you did that, that was more than just a symbol that was real worship. It was an act of worship on your part to take whatever that was that you wrote on that piece of wood and lay it in that flame. Now, a theme we've talked about throughout this story is follow the worship. And what we meant by that was whenever you see Abraham or anyone else in this story kneeling before an altar, worshiping God, you knew that good things were happening. They may not be pleasant things, but they are good things. God was at work. God was birthing something new in them. God was taking them deeper into their faith. And you see, that's what we did together as a body. See, we worshiped together. 
where the people of God are worshiping God, good things are happening. That moment in the series was maybe kind of the pinnacle of this life of Abraham, of this great story. And as I thought about that and I meditated on what was that moment for us, I thought about that ram caught in the thicket. Because you remember the rest of the story is right before Abraham plunges the knife into the heart of his son, God says, stop. I've seen your heart, Abraham. And I've provided a substitute for you. And Abraham turns around and there's a sacrificial animal in the bushes. Already waiting, already provided. Can you imagine the laughter? Imagine the joy, the tears, the embrace. And I thought about for us, we have a sacrificial substitute. God chose to stay the hand of Abraham before he slayed his own son. But God the Father did not stay his own hand. He allowed his son to be slain as the sacrificial animal, the Passover lamb for us. And you and me get to enjoy the benefits of that sacrifice, the connection to God, restored relationship with God, the embrace, the laughter, the presence of God because of Jesus Christ. I want to invite you this morning to think about how does my story, how does your story intersect with this? What what does it look like for you to be walking in this tension between the promise and the reality, hoping beyond hope that this is really true and it will become more and more reality for you, but also knowing that you also have things in your life that aren't the way you wish they were. I do. You do. And and this is not a failure on God's part, right? He's calling us to live here. He's calling us to hold the tension, the promise and the reality together because there will be a day then, right, where we will have a life where this is all we'll know. And if you recall, we, we, we did this at one point in the series. We said, you know what? There will be a day when your reality will be the promise. When Jesus returns, when we live in that city that is being prepared for us, there'll be no more tension. There'll there'll be more, no no more, but then, but but later, because later will be now, you see. But we are a people that are walking in faith toward that. And for now, we worship God in the tension between our reality and his promise to us. We get glimpses, but we don't get the whole thing. So what I want to ask you this morning is I want to ask you to reflect on that a little bit. In a minute, we're going to put two questions on the screen. And here's how it's going to work. I'll give you a few minutes to start off with. Just for you thinking about those, maybe you can jot a couple things down if you want to. Uh, And again, you don't have to share, but whether you share or not, I'd love for you to engage in this. It's one of the most important moments, I believe, in the whole series for you personally is to really think through, where does my life intersect Abraham's life, what God has been doing in this story. Let me read you the questions. We'll put them on the screen as well. First question, what reality are you facing in your life that God is inviting you to trust him with? Second question, what does trusting God makes sense even when it doesn't mean to you right now? You might choose one of those. Maybe you could reflect on both. 
And then after we have a few minutes together just to interact personally, I'm going to invite anyone who wants to come up and share. We'll probably have 10 minutes or so for that to just come and share. And I know it takes a little faith to do that. I know you you it's kind of nervous to talk in front of a microphone in front of the church. But we need each other in this. We need to know we have fellow sojourners in this walk of faith. And I want to invite some of you to bless our congregation by sharing personally your thoughts on these questions, one or both of these questions. So take a few minutes now. Let me pray for you as you uh, get going here. Father, thank you for giving us a chance to think about such things. Thank you for calling us to live in attention. But it's attention where we know you're in control. you're, You're so true to your promises. And God, although we wish everything was the way it should be right now, we can walk toward that time in faith because we know you love us. You've demonstrated to us time and time again. We have your presence through the Holy Spirit, through faith in Jesus Christ. And God, I pray for the work in our body, even right now as they're thinking and kind of praying about how they would respond to this. Would you speak to us? Would you speak to individuals right now and to us corporately? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.